Hello? Are you working? Are you working? Uh, are you a working system? We've just got to do the show at this loudness. We'll be fine. Don't worry. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes referred to as the white guy in the Ohio Players. The white guy. <laughs> that's, what he, that's how I used to do his vocals with him. <laughs> and uh, we are coming to you from our new digs, a short distance from the big city, but a far distance from Sanity. And uh, how uh, we're only like uh, what is it, fifty minutes from the city? Ah, we wouldn't know. No, we, <laughs> we've not we've taken many routes to time ourselves <laughs> properly because <laughs> we have gotten lost. And every well, yeah. time we've gotten out here, so we don't know exactly how long it takes. It's not a far drive, but we have made it a far drive. Sometimes. Yeah, there's so many turnoffs, and if you even miss one, uh, the directions go all hazy, foggy. But it's not it's not uh, a shack like we had before. We're actually in like a hamlet. Yeah, and it's like a bigger shack we're in. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean like where we're doing the show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a nice... We got, I think it's a nice studio. It'll be a nice studio when it's cleaned out. We got more cubic feet, but there's more stuff in here. Yeah. Uh, it's not clean yet, but when, oh, it's going to be a nice studio. The cleaning lady. Once the cleaning lady comes in and, and cleans this up, and it'll be a rehearsal spot for our beyond. Yeah. Our beyond. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going to make the kind of noises that only we can make. Which is noise, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now today we have part two of our look. <laughs> I just wanted to see what would happen if I didn't say anything, and Rob took it over. Okay. So now today we have part two in our theme. That was rude. I'm sorry, man. In our theme, of, I was ready for it. In our theme of funk bands in the 1970s. Oh, we're getting so funky these last three weeks. It's gonna be funky. We got the funk. Yeah. We got going, the funk. We're gonna get the funk out. And today we spotlight the band War and review their 1975 album, Why Can't We Be Friends, originally called Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And uh, see, nobody got that except if you were around in 1992 and the Rodney King thing. It might not have been a good joke. I can't, I can't write gold all the time. All right? I liked it. Why can't we all just get along? <laughs> If you think about it, it's kind of funny. Not really funny, but kind of funny. Yeah, because uh, maybe you're already friends, but you're just not getting along. Okay, now you're running everything. <laughs> <laughs> now much, everything I just talked about me, is not funny. You give me too much space. <laughs> too much freedom, too much leeway. Now, today, uh, before we start off with the hilarity and crying and all these things we do during the show, we are going to play a little What's Going On with the People Associated with the Show. Okay? Ooh. So first off, uh, we will talk about a disgraced and fired producer, Uptown Mike. Yeah, you won't be seeing him no more. Well, we haven't seen him in a we long time as far all, as this yeah. show. <laughs> uh, about it. Because he was fired. You see, that's why I said he was fired. But how are we going to disgrace him? We're not. He's disgraced by how he acted on the show... Because he didn't do anything, and then he got fired. 
Oh. Don't ask too many questions. Just let me happens? run the show and you just say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mobtown <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, by the way, bringing that up, was one of the most incompetent producers in podcast history. I believe it. Yeah, there was uh, uh, Joketown uh, uh, Bobby. Joketown Bobby. Uh, uh well, he's serving time, and I guess he would be the worst uh, uh, podcast But person. not as incompetent. Not as incompetent. <laughs> now, surprisingly, I have to report that Uptown Mike has a really beautiful and successful girlfriend. And now when I say beautiful, I mean it's shocking that she's seen in the same room with Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mikey, he's an okay guy, but... He ain't the gorgeous, successful oh, uh, no, lady he's friend not. guy. No, no, no. No, he's maybe like... Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, she's dropped dead gorgeous, and it's Mike. You understand what we're yeah. saying? Yeah. And uh, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say this. That girl is slamming, I tell you. Is that... Oh, nuts. <laughs> well, that's dirty. I'm sorry. That's I made a dirty. mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that was wrong. How often is she slamming? She's with Mike. That girl is slumming. I slumming. <laughs> I, I misread my own uh, copy and uh, and I ruined the joke. But she is slumming because she's with Mike. You understand? I, I don't know if people get this, but this is Uptown Mike, who is at least the second most incompetent uh, yeah. podcast producer ever. And he's with uh, a smoking hot chick. We only know him from his uh, his podcast producing, but uh, if he's as equally incompetent in everything else, then uh, why is she with him? Well, he's also our guitar player. He's not as incompetent as a, as a guitar player, but he's close. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah, I guess so. He's he's no Eric Clapton. He's more like uh, uh, he's he's kind of a Sid Barrett. Uh, <laughs> During the years when he uh, wasn't doing much, it <laughs> buried during the years when he couldn't play guitar. That's that's what he was. Like. <laughs> and now and then we got. Uh, speaking of girlfriends, I was going to take a drink, but I'm, I, it's not my time yet. No, it's not your time. I should have tried that. Uh, speaking of girlfriends, we are more than surprised. Oh, we're surprised to announce that our drummer in our band, Carter, also known as. Pork by hat. Also known as 50 Picks. Also known as 50 Picks. Yeah. And also known as, I forget now. What's that, that? We had that one from last week and we forgot it. Yeah, we forgot yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Big Fridge. <laughs> He's also known as Big Fridge. We came up with another uh, uh, nickname, last nickname week, for him and we forgot good. it. So we're just going to call him uh, as a third one, Big Fridge. Big Fridge. <laughs> <laughs> now, Carter also has a smoking hot girlfriend. And the surprising part about that is that everybody who knows Carter, including his family, thought for sure that Carter was gay. Had to be. Had to be. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody <laughs> was sure of it just because of the way he was. Yeah. And still is. I was like, uh, boy, what a surprise this young lady is. I hope she's got no more surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't we don't exactly know if she's a hundred percent a lady. Um It's hard to tell these days. Who knows anything? Everybody was shocked and still shocked. If you imagine like somebody just told you that Liberace <laughs> yeah. was 
was a real stud with He's the like, women. Uh, the father of like 110 kids. <laughs> You couldn't be more surprised to find out that a, Carter had a, a girlfriend. A, a, what? <laughs> and you'd mean it. Even his, even even his mom was preparing to hear the speech about Carter coming out, and it never, never. Happened. Yeah, she was all ready to not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> now you think that Carter having a girlfriend would silence these gay rumors, but it has made everyone even more suspicious <laughs> that this girl is just a setup or a beard, as they say. Because people will not accept that Carter is not gay. Well, no, it's a, the, you know if he's really, really not gay, people are probably going to try and sue him <laughs> for false, yeah. for false uh, sexual misrepresentation. Yeah, it's like uh, this is the model of the reality they'd created, and uh, you're blowing our reality, man. Shattered. Basically, it's like you're blowing our reality, man. We need new reality. Uh, last but very least is uh, a checkup on Rob's operation uh, to remove his faulty left testicle. And how is that going? Uh, I'm going to take another crack at it in the fall, I think. Oh, in the fall? In the fall, yeah. Okay. In the meantime, it's not causing too many problems, provided I don't have to wear the harness. And uh, I, I just, uh, I'm going to keep it out of the way. Keep it out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> keep all, keep you, the package out of the way. You stay out of the way. There's things to be done. Okay. Well, speaking of being a faulty testicle, uh, Rob, how was your week? Well, the week was not bad. Uh, I uh, did a bit of work, but it rained, so I didn't get that much work. And as it turns out, uh, I wasn't working on my regular site. I went out to a new site, and uh, I was working for uh, the boss's son. But not the boss's gay son. Different son. The boss has a gay son. <clears throat> yeah. So you were looking for the gay son. No, I wasn't afraid. There was no <laughs> sense of apprehension on the work site. I really wanted to have another drink of water, but I didn't want this. Conti- I didn't want this to continue. You'll have to be parched for the good of the show. Now, that's the only. If anybody is uh, tuning in as this is the first episode, I I only ask Rob how his week was so I can have a drink of water, and even that is too long. <laughs> now today. We are going to finish our look. Oh, I don't know. No, no. I want to do something. I want to do something first. Let's do the, the thing you want to do uh, first. Just a little quick. Just a little quick After thing. After that, we're going to get to the meat. After that, show. we're going to get to the meat of the show. We're going to get mm. to the segment and to the review. But first, this week is big. As we, as we are do, taping this show, this week is Mick Jagger's 80th birthday. Ooh. And in celebration of Mick Jagger's 80th birthday, you old fuck. That's my my congratulations to him. That's okay. It's much better than what he calls midgets. I mean, little people, sorry. Um, I just want to repeat to Mick my favorite favorite Rolling Stones line from any song, which is, of course, uh, colored women, uh, I feel when they get into a sexual uh, heated uh, exchange. Find out that they'd uh, want to do that a lot, but then I find out I would like. I, I look into my fridge and I don't have enough strawberry jam. Not enough jam. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're picturing this, I've got a nice black woman uh, in my room who's ready to go for a long time. But where's my strawberry jam in my fridge? It's not in the fridge. No, I'm hungry. And (laughs) she won't do it without the jam. 
<laughs> so that's for Mick. That's my favorite line of all time from the Stones. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not hip. <laughs> that's all I can say. It's really, if I get letters because of that, I don't care. You're not hip. Look to 1978. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Pretty now, sure it was Now, today we are going to finish our look at the top musical box sets of all time according to the Ultimate Classic Rock website. We got to about, uh, I don't know, halfway done last week, and it was funky. No, it wasn't funky. That's the next section. It was uh, rocking. And um, we came to number 26 on the list of the greatest box sets of all time, according to Ultimate Classic Rock magazine, which Rob has listened to none of them. Not the one. He has not listened to one box set in his box whole life. Box set is not a real album collection. Well, it is. Uh, anyways, <laughs> just because you refuse to buy them. The electric guitar is not a real instrument. Number 26, which is a, a box set I used to play all the time in the store when I when I worked at a, a record store, was the Police Message in a Box, the complete recordings from 1993. Uh, this is a must-buy. This is definitely one of the best box sets of all time. Everything the police did in the studio, all the B-sides, which were just rock and punk rock type of music. Uh, it's a must. For some reason, uh, I find uh, the police in a box set form putting everything together somehow for me works better than listening to single records, even with Sting. And I, I trust me, I oh, Sting is a solo artist. I don't know. I shouldn't say this on the air, but I like to kill him. <laughs> that's, he's right there in the Phil Collins he's just below Phil Collins in my god I hate that music but Sting and the Police is like well because he had Andy Summers playing guitar and he had the great Stuart yeah, Copeland on yeah. drums and they were quite an orchestra and they were quite an orchestra as uh, Paul Schaefer would say and so I agreed that uh, yeah I don't know oh this is one I haven't heard but I would like to get it because I'm a big Cheap Trick fan and Cheap Trick released in 1996, uh, Sex America, Cheap Trick. And Bunny Carlos uh, served as the early archivist for the band. So he, he got, uh, he's the drummer. That's a drummer. <laughs> and so they got a bunch of uh, rarities and put them in with, uh, you know, their songs. Uh, so a lot of, most of the songs are unreleased. Uh, and that's, I, I like I like box sets that have, even though they have a song on there. Like, let's say Surrender by Cheap Trick, and yet it's a different version. Uh, I like that. I uh, I think I like that as a box set better than putting on tracks that have already been released. And uh, and I always like Cheap Trick is like, man, I, just, I used to play that all the time. When I had, when I had uh, uh, my player actually working in my car, oh, yeah. I used to play the Stooges. And I played Harry Nielsen, and I played Cheap Trick, uh, different albums all the time. But I would I would play those three acts all the time, and it got oh, and the Beach Boys. Those Beach four Boys. acts got me pumped for the show every time. And now, uh, now what do you got go. for for showtime? You got jazz. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. I'm in a good mood. Okay, okay, and oh, that one. Yeah, I've heard that, but I'm not going to comment on it. Not that I don't like it, but I'm not going to comment on it. All right, Rob. It gets bypassed. Okay, don't 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 say bypassed. 
Uh, this is this is a number nineteen. Well, this this is, is a surprisingly uh, excellent box set, and what it is is the Bee Gees Tales from the Brothers Gib. And if any of you are not Bee Gees fans, I'm telling you, you would be after you heard this. This spans their whole career up until the late eighties. Uh, yeah, up until 1990, and it takes everything that's good and rarities about the Bee Gees from the time that they were a Beatles type of band till they were kind of a, uh, I hate to say discos because they were more of a rhythm and blues type band. And um, I was stunned by how great it was and uh, like all the way through it because their albums can be spotty, but when you take, and there's a lot of CDs, I think there's four, yeah, four CDs and it's just like, it was, it was, uh, it's a great box set. And it's recommended to any fan of rock and roll. And the this and the Crosby, Stills, and Nash box set surprised the crap out of me of how great they were. We talked about the CSN box yeah, set yeah, last they week. Yeah, they were last week. Yeah. Uh, Mikey Knuckleheads. Kiss the box set. Uh, <laughs> blow me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, kids. I didn't mean to, you know, to uh, upset you. Not but, a fan. Uh, I don't know. It was just five CDs of 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 Kiss and nothing before they heard were Kiss. Before. And I love the early Kiss albums. I really do. But anything other than that, they just weren't talented enough to have outtakes and shit like that. They just weren't. Just, ah, they still had to had to cut their their whatever it is they cut before you get good. Cut before whatever you cut to get clipped. Yeah, before you get good. Oh, before you get good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you mean now. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I should have had that beer. Another really good box set coming in at number 15 is Aerosmith's Pandora's Box from 1981. Another box set. It's funny, all these box sets. From 81? 91. 91, that's uh, And the, the thing about this is that they released almost all their stuffs on Columbia, right? And then when they got back together, they went to... Do you know where they went to? Atlantic? Right? <laughs> You're just saying that. I can't. It doesn't say here. Polydor. But, I, but let's just say they went to Polydor. And yeah. uh, so Columbia. Then they, of course, became huge again in the late 80s with songs like Lovin' in the Lovator. And then they lost me because it was bullshit. Um, and I, I really, other than the songs that they have played on the radio, I haven't listened to an Aerosmith album since that kind of bullshit. I know people like it. And I'm not doing it. It's just for me, I like the Aerosmith when they were really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that with a lot of bands. Yeah, it is. So this one is uh, just basically, I think three, yeah, three discs of uh, all their hits put together, plus some really cool rarities and live material. And again, an album that, uh, 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 a box set that I used to play all the time in the record store. And uh, everybody liked it. Hey, I made good picks. The only pick I made that was bad was the Lou Reed Magic and Loss album on a sunny Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I played one of the most depressing albums on a beautiful summer Saturday afternoon, and I had almost a revolt by the people that were shopping. <laughs> I told this story before on this. There on this is a show. time for Lou. There is a time for all types of music, and you. I was. Uh, they're working long enough to know what music works for what time of day and what the weather is like. I just felt like Lou Reed. 
and I was wrong and people were saying take that off it was bumming them out and they were feeling pretty good we were trying to buy records here and eat our ice cream uh what time we have oh yeah we've got a good time uh bob dylan the bootleg series volume 12 uh the cutting edge this 1965 to 1966 this is every song that he recorded every take in other words every ounce of tape that was available in the studio was used for this 20 cd box set which you say, you got that? Of course I do. I'm a Bob Dylan fanatic. He's like my biggest hero of all time. I love him. I don't think he actually does anything wrong, which is terrible because he has, but not to me. 20 um, CDs? Yeah. Maybe 18. Sorry, 18 CDs. Okay, that's uh, better. Close enough. That's better. <laughs> and so it's got every take that was recorded of every song he did between 1965 and 1966. Uh, it sounds excessive. It is. But not if you're a Dylan fan. It's brilliant. Uh, it shows you how a brilliant artist, and now like one of the most brilliant artists, not only the 20th century, but of all time, how they can change things from one take to the next and not like one day to the next. That day, listening to the take and saying... Let's do this totally different. Whew. Man, if I could have one-tenth of that brilliance. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't like this. And I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Coming in at number 11, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band Live 1975 to 85, which was released in 1986. I think this was one of the first uh, CDs I ever bought. I bought a couple before that, but this had to be about the fourth or fifth CD. CDs were still very new in late 1985, early 1986. And uh, I don't know. I got hundreds of Springsteen concerts on CD and cassette. And a Springsteen concert has to be heard individually. Uh, it can't be patched together like they do live albums. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And this was patched together from different concerts. And it, uh, for me, I know a lot of people love this album. For me, who has heard hundreds of Springsteen concerts on CD, uh, I'm still disappointed by it. I think the best thing would just, which is what he does now. He releases uh, whole concerts. Whole concerts yeah. And he should have done that at the beginning. It's a disappointment to me, but that's just because I'm a Springsteen nut. So... You know, if that's the only Springsteen live you're going to hear, it's a great purchase. But I don't think it's representative of a Springsteen concert. You know what? You know when you say, well, it's representative of Springsteen um, live, but it's not representative of a concert. You know the difference? You know what I mean? Um, Pretty much. Yeah. Concert has a flow to it, has a feel to it. Right. It doesn't have a flow to it, but you, you, you can hear the music. Like the music's the... And it's not sequenced like like his concert usually yeah. would be. Yeah, this is a, a patchy kind of thing that uh, yeah, it fades in and out, and uh, you, you're away from the concert, and you you fade back into the concert. And there's certain drugs you can take at concerts to make it like that. But uh, yeah, you're good at that. <laughs> Bass player. Ooh, um, Chuck Berry. The oh yeah, uh, number eight. Uh, Chuck Berry, the chess box. That has kind of been supplanted, but I, it still may be the best buy for uh, uh, your average fan. It's, uh, 
I don't know how many. I remember this because it was one of the first box sets that I've seen. It was released in 1988. And it has his stuff on Chess Records. Now there is a box set. I can't remember how many CDs it has. 26? That has everything Chuck Berry recorded up until 1980. And it is the definitive box set for Chuck Berry because it has everything recorded. And this only has from Chess Records, which is all his 50s stuff. Brilliant. And uh, But I personally, and Rob knows, I love 50s music. It is rock and roll. And I could listen to that stuff. If I only had to listen to that stuff for the rest of my life, I would still be happy. 50s music. And uh, so I recommend anything Chuck Berry. <laughs> if you get the Chess Box... If you get his complete recordings, whatever. He is one of the kings of rock and roll. Um, well, I haven't heard that. I can't comment on uh, the Pink Floyd, the early years, uh, 1965 to 1972. Very interesting box set uh, of a whole bunch of unreleased stuff for, uh, I don't know, 10 CDs or something like that. And very expensive and really interesting but uh it's out of my price range i don't have 400 bucks to spend <laughs> on it so but uh still very it's just looking at it it's, it's a very interesting stuff uh then we get into the top four because i have to end this here the top four box sets the beach boys smile sessions i have heard that i don't have it but i have heard it uh smile is a brilliant album uh, I just thought it was a little over excessive. I think uh, making an album that was never really finished, which was the Beach Boys Smile album in 1967 into like four CDs or whatever was really excessive. And, but wow, it's Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, they, oh, five discs. Yeah, five disc smile sessions. It was excessive. Lots of songs over and over again, but you know, a cappella and with instrumental, and then with all, and then I, it was just too much. But the Smile album itself, really brilliant, really weird, but really brilliant. And Beach Boys constantly make me cry. <laughs> There's their music sometimes is so overwhelmingly beautiful. Another album I've heard, the coming in at number three, one of the first box sets. And no matter what you think of the person, I don't think much of them. This is still one of the best box sets, Eric Clapton and Crossroads from 1988. I uh, I have this one. It's uh, it's just good. It, it, it goes over his whole career up until 1988. Bing, bang, boom. You're a big Eric Clapton fan, Rob. You would like this. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, Rob's not a fan. Uh, he's like me. He kind of likes him, but he doesn't like him. One of my best, uh, one of the best... I got to say this story. Can I say this story, Rob? Can I say this? It doesn't I, involve you, so I it shouldn't so. matter at all. Sure. Uh, a couple of my friends went to uh, Eric Clapton concert here in the city. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, early 2000s. And uh, so they're telling me about it because I refused to go see Eric Clapton. I, I, I got my issues with him. Uh, I don't know him well enough to have issues. Well, I do. You do. I do. I, I, have I know. I, I have he owes you money. I know that. Yeah. So uh, they went to the concert. They smoked a couple of dubs before, and then they went in, and then they went into the concert. And the only comment they had about the concert 
was that uh, one of my friends said, well, it, it really ruined my high, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Dang. there you go, Eric. Um, number two. Oh, number two is again Bob Dylan. Uh, the Bootleg Series, Volume 11. The Basement Tapes Complete. Uh, I, oh, I have this. I think the basement tapes are one of the greatest things recorded in music history, not only in rock and roll. And 138 songs on six discs. And uh, there have been books written about the basement tapes. Best book to read is Grell Marcus's book, uh, The Old Weird America. And uh, I got nothing to say other than there doesn't come much better music than the basement tapes. Now, the number one, oh yeah, number one, Snuggets. I haven't heard this. All these songs have been heard for. I don't want to talk about it. Number one, Snuggets. Now we're going to review the you. album. Now, Let's now get the album. We went all the way to number one. I won't talk about the number one. Now, Nuggets was released before a long time, like in 1972. Nuggets? I'd never heard of that band. No, Nuggets is a, a compilation of all the garage rock singles. Okay. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, in 1972, the two LP Nuggets was assembled by future Patti Smith guitarist Lenny Kay, and it included 27 garage rock classics from the 60s and was extremely instrumental in not only spotlighting songs that were kind of uh, put in the darkness as being one-hit wonders and are now played constantly on the radio, but it also uh, uh, lit a fire under under the people who wanted to, to play raw rock and roll and punk rock that would become in four or five years later now uh this collection was expanded in 1998 to a four disc 118 track box set uh the most comprehensive and exciting primer on 60s rock and roll ever created which is basically garage rock which i love and you know a lot everybody knows these songs incense and peppermints louis louis uh uh, the Dovers. Well, yeah, the Dovers. What am I going to do? Is actually very obscure. And have love will travel and all these great freaking songs. And that's what Nuggets is. It is rated here on the Ultimate Classic Rock uh, website as the number one box set of all time. I'm going to tell you what my three favorite box sets are of all time that I cannot do without and that constantly blow me away. One is the Johnny Cash. Uh, box set from Bear Family, which is I think six CDs long. Listen to it many times. It's it's from nineteen the start of his career until I don't know nineteen fifty eight fifty nine, and it just blows me away. Every song is just killer. Uh, second favorite one, uh, or at least in the top three, I don't rate them. So my, the second one is uh, I got this at a, a record and comic fair. In 1999, 2000, I can't remember, was Miles Davis and, and Gil Evans' um, complete sessions, which was the, one of the first jazz albums I, I actually bought. And so not only did I buy this as a jazz album, I bought like a six CD box set. Six CDs. Which jazz. was really, um, they didn't do in rock at the time, but they did like six CDs, but they did in jazz. And I guess rock eventually became, you know, six, seven, eight CDs. And the music on that is stunning. I, it's, I can't think of any other word than stunning from disc one to disc six. 
and it totally well it, it made me a miles davis nut is what it did and and if you hear what it is rob it's like uh miles davis and an orchestra but not a string orchestra it's a brass orchestra uh uh conducted by gil evans who's a canadian and it's just it's just uh amazing and a third one. What's the third? Oh yeah, um, it's that one with all those uh, CDs in the box. Yeah. What's the third one? See the between Biograph or the one I was thinking of was the Elvis one, the complete fifties masters, which we both are on this list. And uh, I'm going to put all all four of them on there as must four. must have in my book. Uh, my favorite box sets, and I've heard a lot of them, and those are my. Uh, for best like anybody cares but i thought words were doing it we might as well talk about it what's your favorite four box sets rob uh my or favorite three four box sets are those ones done by those guys who do those box sets okay and they so... did four of them and they were good <laughs> 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 yes i know i know he's a pain in the ass people but he's he's okay he's I, an okay guy I, I try to fit in he tries to fit he try he does his best people all right. But what, what can you expect? <laughs> I don't even understand half the stuff you say, let alone comment on it. <laughs> so I don't. It's like, I don't know. It's like, oh, okay. Good one. So today's album we are going to review is by the extremely funky band War and their 1975 album, Why Can't We Be Friends? And I get to review this first. Yes, you do. Next week, you get to review the no, band. got to get to review that. But this week, I get to review this one first. Uh, if people don't know, we are now switching every week about who gets to start the review. Because for the first 170 weeks... <laughs> you were hogging all the reviews first. You well, were like, Rob, oh, look at me. I'm so important. Rob kind of had to work his way and, into uh, it. And what? then when what? I gave oh, you that <clears throat> first... You said you'd like to do it first, didn't you? And then I gave you that opportunity, and you did real good. I, I no, I mean it. I'm serious. You did real recall, good. I approached this idea with, with indifference. Oh, I know. I actually yeah. thought you recommended it. I can't remember. Eh, I yeah. think you did. It seemed I like a good thing it. to do. Yeah, it was, actually. And uh, I like doing it, and he does a good job on it. Just as good as I do, but he doesn't do any of the, the legwork like I do. Almost none. None. There's um, times when I'll read up a bit, but uh, most of the time I'm just like, uh, who are these guys? Okay, good point. So War <laughs> is an American... Uh, good point, Rob. Great. Is an American funk rock soul band from Long Beach, California. Uh, now, they formed in 1969, and War is a musical crossover band that fuses elements of rock, funk, jazz, Latin... Rhythm and Blues, Psychedelic, Psychedelia, and a Reggae, or as I call it, Reggie. Reggie. Yeah. Um, very cool. One of the bands, uh, you don't hear this music anymore. And even back then, the music that War played was different. Was so fucking cool. I always thought War was like cool. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just saying that now. Like, I remember, like, I heard the first war song I ever remember hearing, which is so funny, was because there was one cover song on the 1978 Cheech and Chong Up and Smoke album. Up and Smoke, yeah. And you know what? I had 
Oh, he was so three or four friends that had that cool album going because, over his car when he was oh, at the beginning of the movie. You know what? When you're like 12 years old, first of all, you're not supposed to even listen to an album like that. Yeah, and you're not supposed to uh, cheat and strong and uh, keep that away from the kids. And I think I even bored it. I I, I bored it from a friend because that's all we talked about in the schoolyard was oh they, now they got a cheat and chong movie called yep. Up in Smoke. And I tell you, when this. I didn't watch the movie for a while because we couldn't, because we couldn't get in. We were were too young. And and he had to wait for it to come on TV. So all we had basically was the album. And we would talk about the album in the schoolyard. And I remember, like, I bored it. And this, the song, uh, uh, Low Rider, Rider, just stuck in my head because it was the only cover song on the album. And I was going, so cool. This band is so cool. And they were, like I said, they were. Fuck, for the, for the first five years, like 1970, 1975, 1976, I don't know. It's just so damn cool, this man. The way they approached their music, the way they the way they sang, it's the way they were. I mean... The, 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 six of the seven members I was reading on this album have percussion listed beside their Yeah. <laughs> so that says a lot about the band right there. Yeah, there's so much coolness, like playing percussion. And they got they got one guy who was actually a very famous harmonica player from uh, Denmark. I think it's that. If you're Dutch, sure Denmark, Holland. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Holland, because he's Dutch. Uh, he's the one white guy in the band. And who thinks of all that percussion and then having a harmonica player? You know, it's just great. And, that, and it makes like a song like uh, Low Rider, like so great, like that, 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 that. Anyways, I'm not talking about the album yet. <laughs> Anyways, all these guys, you know, were working. Actually, they were a backup band in 1968 to football player Deacon Jones from the Los Angeles Rams. He was a football player and singer, if you guys remember Deacon Jones. And the original war was conceived by record producer Jerry Goldstein and singer Eric Burden of The Animals in 1969. Goldstein uh, saw the musicians who would eventually become war playing at the Ragdoll in North Hollywood, backing Deacon Jones, and he was attracted to the band's sound. I can only imagine what they sounded like in 1969. I would think, pretty fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jordan claimed that the band's goal was to spread a message of brotherhood and harmony. Yeah, you can get that from listening to this album. If this if this is the album you only ever heard from War, Brotherhood and Harmony pretty much comes through. It opens and closes with it, and there's a bunch of it in the middle. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, I agree. And using instruments and voices to speak out against racism, hunger, gangs, crimes, and turf wars. All things bad. That's why they're so fucking cool. I mean, at least they were. Um, uh, I'll get to that later on, too. And promote hope in the spirit of brotherhood. Now, they began as Eric Burden in War, as Eric Burden's uh, backup band, as everybody must know because of uh, Spill the Wine, which, of course, uh, was an Eric Burden plus War track. Don't worry about that. It's just a bomb. I hope that was the fridge that gets heard on here but uh everybody knows spill the wine that's war backing them up they made a couple of albums eric burden declares war and uh the black man's burden which was two records and they're both great just they play war just plays great on these on the, the albums and then war went on their own made their first debut album in 1971 
the song that I remember most uh, from their album All Day Music was Slipping Into Darkness, which maybe not a lot of people know, but it's a great song. Uh, they released in 1972, The World is a Ghetto, which had Cisco Kid was a friend of mine. Which we played. Uh, did you? Uh, I brought that in um, uh, for us to play about uh, three or four years ago. Wow. So we have played that one. Okay. I didn't know that. I just remember <laughs> the, the other kids had trouble with it. You knew it. <laughs> um, Love that song. Uh, so cool. If, if, if you want to know why I call them cool, listen to song like Lowrider or, or Cisco Kid. It's yeah. so fucking cool. That's the only word I can think of is that they're so cool. It's like if you're going to school and you don't listen to black music, but you said you liked war... Everybody would go, yeah, that's pretty fucking yep, cool, yep. man. <laughs> like, I listen to Kiss and stuff, but War, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something that you knew. If you said that band, it didn't matter what anybody else liked. They'd go, yeah, that's pretty cool, man, listening to War. And uh, so they were very big. Every album sold really well. And then uh, they were all uh, critically acclaimed, too. And then in 1975, they released this album, uh, Why Can't We Be Friends? And then we're going to talk about later on. No, I'll talk about it now because about it now. I might not get to it when we were Yeah, we're going to forget. Um, this was really their last great album. And if you... All you have to do is look at the All Music website and look at their discography and see how all their albums from the first part of the 70s got like four and four and a half, five stars and I think after that, only one or two albums even made it up to three stars. You know what happened? First of all, they switched record companies right after this because they're hot. And I'm assuming that somebody they, came along and made them a better deal. Somebody said, hey, you can make a lot of money if you sign with us. Uh, I think it was MCA. It was MCA. And they left United Artists. And that was a, a bad choice. And secondly, oh, I saw them. I saw them in 1978 on American Bandstand. I just remember I used to watch American Bandstand because at 12.30 in the afternoon, there's nothing else to watch, right? And they do have bands. And they do have bands, and I needed to soak up music. I needed to find out as much as I could, and American Bandstand was on. I'm not criticizing American Bandstand. I didn't like that they lip-synced their whole song, but that's the only thing I didn't like. But it introduced me to a lot of bands I never would have heard of. To this day, I never would have heard of. Anyways, war came on, and they wore these Sergeant Pepper uniforms, and the coolness was not there anymore. And what happened was basically, they lost their way. And it can happen. You, uh, you maybe feel you want to go somewhere, and you sign to a new record company, but you don't really know where to go. And they could never reclaim that mojo. They could never reclaim that coolness that they had. People left. And they, and when some people that leave that are important to that coolness or that sound, you can get somebody to replace them, but they're not the same kind of guy. No, they yeah. don't have uh, the years of making the sounds with right. them, perfecting that sound making technique, and uh, they they're learning from scratch. And uh, you know, sometimes uh, guys fit in really well, but most of the times uh, there's an adjustment period, and it's just not the same flavor. Of it's music. just not the same flavor. It's just it's <laughs> just it's just you can't duplicate some what some other people brought whether it's their personality uh the way they played the music just how cool they were and that seemed to be what happened and this sergeant pepper period 
where they actually were making TV appearances dressed in these Sgt. Pepper type uniforms just was so uncool. It just seems like you're striving to get commercial. And they didn't need commercial success. They were already big. But they were they, they just seemed lost. So even at that young age and not even knowing war that much, I was going, this band seems lost. <laughs> this band seems we don't know what to do and we're grasping at straws. And they released an album called The Music Band around this Sgt. Pepper type theme bombed commercially and critically then they did a good thing and released next year the music band 2 fuck which did just as bad and then they decided you know what this is going so well let's release a live album called the music band <laughs> in 1980 so this whole fake sergeant pepper band is just going over terribly and they just keep pounding it, saying, you guys are wrong. <laughs> We're going to keep on forcing it on you. And uh, they never regained their mojo. In fact, I completely lost track of them by the time the 80s started. And uh, I had to read up on them um, this week to find out what had happened to war. Uh, and that's interesting, too, because war went into two factions, which was... They went to war. They went to war, basically. They had one band, which wasn't entitled to the name, but they had most of the musicians uh, from this album, the main musicians. You know what I mean? Um, this, I the first, the first, all the albums up until 1975 had this lineup. And then most of the musicians went into a band, since they weren't allowed, I think the drummer had the title. The drummer had the title of War. So he now still tours his war, but he's the only original, he's the only guy in the band that's from war. And there's a band out there called the Lowrider Band, which has a lot of the musicians that were in the original war. They're the band that all the fans say you got to see. Oh, the Lowrider Band is fantastic. But the sad thing is that both bands are just playing their hits, which is okay. And it's great because you can't hear music like this anymore. So to be able to hear it live, by the people that made it is fantastic. The only sad part is I always felt that War could have been making music, original music up till now. Sometimes that's a little hard to ask of musicians when they make such great music for five or six years and you expect them to keep on making them for 40. It's hard enough to make it for one album, let alone from album after album for five or six years. And it's really hard to do after you hit a real low streak. We've only seen a couple of bands ever come back from a low streak. One of them is Aerosmith, which we talked about earlier. Tina Turner. And Tina Turner. That's the only bands that I can think of that come to mind. Those two bands, which we have profiled on this show. Was it? Oh, no, I don't know if that counts. But yeah, Golden Earring was uh, 10 years apart. Between yeah, that was the one song, no. And I don't, I don't <laughs> think they... they it was a comeback because Twilight Zone was a huge song, but it was mostly in North America, and the album did really well. Like Golden Earring always did well in Europe. They had a few songs on that album. I yeah, they did really well in Europe, but it was just that album, and then they kind of like they couldn't sustain it in North America. Well, they that, were yeah. more of a Europe band, uh, as 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 harsh as that may be, uh, because they're huge in Europe and. It, and rightfully so, yeah, but in players. North America, it was really only Radar Love and and uh, Twilight Zone, which is, by the way, Twilight Zone is a fantastic song. 
one of the best songs. I think it was from the eighties, right? Early yeah, 80s. That was one the of the 80s. best songs from the eighties. Oh, it's yeah. just a. It just blew me away the first time I I I heard it. The album news, I think. Which yeah. which just goes to show you that once you once you hit a dark patch, most of the time you can't get out of it, and that's why the comebacks from Tina Turner and Aerosmith are so lauded upon is because it's it's so hard uh to come back and war never did and it's really bad because like i said i don't know anybody who plays music like this band yeah and as cool as this band fuck this band's cool <laughs> it really is you permeate cool when you listen to this record <laughs> i'm i'm it, it likes if if we were actually listening to this on an album record it would come from the grooves, all this coolness that comes from this record. And that's what we're going to start talking about the album. We gave you kind of the background of what happened to them after. This was their, basically their swan song as a successful band, critically and commercially, which is amazing that it was only 1975. Amazing and incredibly sad. But still, um, this album is a fucking monster. As far as I'm concerned, I just, wow. I just listened to this album. And of course, I've loved the, the songs before, like Low Rider um, and Why Can't We Be Friends. That's been played six billion times on the radio. And I, I never get bored of them. I just, I just, I just think they're so freaking cool. And you know what the cool thing is? Is that Low Rider is such a cool song. But on this album, it's almost filler. <laughs> to me because everything is so good that lowrider actually to me kind of sounds um oh yeah that's 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 a nice song yeah it's also because <laughs> you're so used to hearing it after all these years it's always on the classic radio right? you, you almost uh, tune it out you're desensitized to it. yes that's the thing we're not hearing this album the these some of these songs for the first time like we would if, we, if it was yeah. in 1975 uh and uh, that's nothing. But I was just as impressed as ever with Why Can't We Be Friends, the song. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just, uh, there's so much going on in the other songs. And when you put Low Rider in with these songs, it seems pretty basic. And I don't mean that, it sounds like I'm being negative about it. I'm just being realistic as in relation to these other great songs. It, it, it sounds like a great, it's a fantastic single on its own. But in the mixture of this album, it's just uh, another great song on the album. It doesn't stand out. You think it would be the standout of the record. And all I'm saying is it isn't. That's how good this record is. Uh, everybody sings on this record. You don't even know who sings unless you look it up. Because everybody kind of sings uh, yeah, the, certain songs. Sometimes you can identify it by uh, songwriting credits. But uh, the songwriting credits here are pretty much the whole band. Yeah, it's like <clears throat> War. Who wrote this song? War. War. <laughs> and that's kind of cool too. Like everybody kind of had a hand. Or they got, or they got, uh, uh, maybe they had a deal like the Doors have where, you know, you kind of, uh, everybody gets credited for it, you know, type of thing, yeah. which is cool too. Because um, it does sound like a band that kind of jams on things until they come up with something. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you just, uh, it's just too difficult to pick apart who wrote what little bit and who yeah. did oh, what yeah. line here. And and you, so you yeah. just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what? Well, we all kind of wrote. Banded. We were all there. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't let no one get you down. I could go over these songs really quick. Uh, I don't know because I like all of them. So <laughs> I don't know. But I thought that was really cool. Uh, I thought Lotus Blossom, which is kind of, is a ballad, was a beautiful ballad. 
You like that? I don't like it. Really? That's the one song on the album that just uh, bugs me. Wow, I, and it's very unfunk, but it's. Uh, I really thought it was a beautiful song. And uh, heartbeat. Oh man, is that song? I like funky? heartbeat. For me, that's when uh, when War shows up to the album. Not a big fan of "Don't Let No One Get You Down" either. I guess I like uh -huh. the "Don't Let No One Get You Down" lyrically, musically, yeah, that kind of samba. It's okay. Okay, it's not something that the no, the, it's, the, not, the, it's not. It's not. It's not one of the standouts on the album. Lyrically, it got me. It picked me up uh, when I was a little uh, blue. I needed it. This is it's funny because War will do that. Uh, just their vibe and their uh, their like they they said. Their albums are about love and yeah. and brotherhood and peace and uh, you get that from the first second that it's on. I love Harpy, but I love I love the talking to the band saying, "Oh, there's some drums. Hey, Lonnie, play some drums." <laughs> yeah, I was reading the lyrics there, and they got to divide into like nine or ten verses, yes. which, as near as I can tell, uh, they're just making that up as far as they're where just, the verses are. What we mean, what Rob means, uh, which is is. Totally true. Is like he's do, he does so much vocal improvisation yeah. that it just goes on and on. This is rap without being rap. It is, it's, it's and it's cool because he's going, "Oh, this is funky. Oh, we're getting funky." And but he's singing it in a very you. rhythmic way, yeah. and it just makes you just like first of all, like Rob says, it makes you happy because it's just it happy infectious music and yeah. it just moves along like it is he's, really funky he's kind of singing mm. the same thing over and over again but he's not singing the same thing no. over and over again it's seven minutes but it just it doesn't seem like seven minutes it just goes by and it just gets the funk into you it yeah. just gets you right like and rob said upbeat uh, as the, it's kind of like the starting place for funk on this album yeah. and rob's kind of right this is where the album the heart of the album really starts and then you get to, into Leroy's Latin Lament, which takes a few listens to absorb it all because it's a combination of four songs. But it's uh, it's it's, so it's kind of neat because cool. the parts actually match up with the other uh, titles. They like, do, uh, and they kind of match up with each section, even though they're yeah. vastly different. <laughs> and it's just cool. <laughs> I, I know I use this a hundred times in describing the band and the album. It's really interesting. But it is. It's uh, it's not boring. Like, they have to... War has to go with a bunch of different songs, a bunch of different sounds, a bunch of different styles. They got to experiment. It's, it's who they You know, are. they got... You almost feel like they got to. You almost feel like they got all this music inside them, and it's not one type of music. No, it's not funk. That's it's why not, when yeah. uh, the, the, I found out we're doing funk, and uh, these guys came up, I'm like, uh, I never regarded these guys as a funk band, because... They're too all over the place. They're they, too all over. They, they got some funky funk. sounds. They can play funk they got and low rider, but it's also got some pop in there, and it's got this rhythm and blues in there. It's got a few ballads in there that yeah, are really good. Uh, like even one song is not completely funk. It's just it's just war, you know. And that's great. I always admire bands that you say I can't describe their music. It's just this band, you know. Yes. It's how this band sounds. Yeah, you know what the sound of war is, but yes. you don't know what their actual musical styling is because <laughs> it's all over the place. <laughs> and I love it. It's like no, we we can't contain it. We have to have ballads. We have to do this. If we don't, it's it it falls short of what we're trying to do. And I love that. And then we got a song that just blew me away. The instrumental smile happy. I just I I I don't know. There's something about this song, the way it's written, and then you got the saxophone playing on it. The I don't know. You can't. You, it, it, you can't have a better yeah chords. 
Well, I was going to say, the closest thing this reminds me of, at least the first half anyway, uh, it almost gave me a Chuck Mangione feels yes. so good vibe. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a... It I feels know. good. I hate... It doesn't I, sound like that, but it feels that It way. does feel like that. It doesn't sound... I'm not saying it's like Chuck Mangione's feels so good, which I like. The only thing it has in common really is it's an instrumental. It's an instrumental, and it does make you feel good. Yeah. But we're not saying it's like that. Even though I love the Chuck Mangione song, I do. It's kind of a lightweight song, but it, if you hear it, it just makes you feel great. It's a great title for a song because it does feel so good. This is the same thing, and it's got a similar title, Smile Happy. And I tell you, it just makes you feel like this band has got it. This band knows what they're fucking doing. If they got to write a seven-minute instrumental, these guys are on. They're in the zone. That's what I kept thinking when I'm hearing this this album because I didn't dislike anything. I thought, man, this band is in the zone. And who would know that they would be so out of the zone in, in like two years yeah. that they could never get back in again? Because you would think, that's why I'm so disappointed, is because you would think a band this talented and so varied could make albums so great that's for right, 15 years. That's right, because they just, you know, they kept getting better and better in what they do, and how do they take a turn that took them off a cliff? Right. What happened? And that's, that's basically the sad part about this album, is that it's the peak of war, but it's also the start after this of a steep decline. And it's like, oh, but they were just, they just broke through the, the echelon of being one of the top funk type bands around. And then it just died. The band just lost their way. And it's, it's very sad when you hear this album because it's so killer. And I love Soul. Fuck, I love Soul. Because. Oh, So is a good one, yeah. So is such a good... I, I can't even describe while it's Electric, so Electric, piano, guitar, harmonica started off, and then uh, I think after the first verse, the band uh, joins in, but it's... Great singing. It has a... Yeah, it has a feel of almost almost a country ballad, but not really... It does. It definitely is a ballad, but... It's definitely I a ballad. It's the guitar it playing cool that leads ballad. me into that uh, country feel. Yeah. Again, I use that word, but it is a cool ballad. And plus it has a great melody, as you can tell when he sings it. Sings it great. I don't yeah. know who sings it because some songs I do know, do know who sings it because I looked it up. Some songs I just don't know uh, because they, they traded off all the time. And uh, this song is sung unbelievably well. I think should have been a single. I think if it was released as a single, it would have been huge, but maybe not. Who knows? Nobody has a... Nobody has a theory about what makes it and what doesn't. There are some songs that were people thought were definite singles from bands that died. So, but I just it just sounded. It's, I think I don't know. It's right up there with "Why Can't We Be Friends" and "Lowrider" as as the best songs. And "Smile Happy" is the best song on the album. I, it's hard to pick a great song out of this because they're all so great. So I can't really pick this is the best song on the album. But So is the one that really stunned me. And why is it called So? Because his girlfriend's name is So. He calls her So, right? So when he sings, I love you, So, you think of, <laughs> you, first you think of, I love you, So, and then what's coming up? No, that's why he says, I love you, So, as in the person. That's where we like all those songs where we replace the word you with Lou. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then we come to actually a song that was not a letdown. I, I really don't want to get that across, but it, it, it just seemed like um, it was just another song on the album, another group song on the album, no. but not the standout that I think when I hear it alone was Low Rider. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
as like a, uh, and it and it, it was just like wow the, I think those other songs are more inventive and it might be what Rob said about um, just hearing it so many times which is a very good uh, explanation I just didn't think that uh, as much as I love this song I think compared to some of this extraordinary music I heard I, I, I think it uh, it ranks right up there but I would think that that would be at the top but I don't think it is. I think it's right in the middle of the best songs in the album. And I'm that's how good this album is to me, to actually put Low Rider right in the middle. <laughs> and sung by the saxophonist. I know that, which is cool because, you know, the, how they spread the songs around. And he's the only guy with that low voice low that can sing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked In Mazatland. It was kind of a throwaway. In Mazatlan uh, went by me uh, on all my listens until the final listen where I have finally sat down and said, I've got to listen to this song. And uh, it's... It, nor, it, it's a little weird. That's the one thing I kind of like. It's a about. little weird. It, it, it doesn't stick in my mind. I can't hear it right now. I can hear all these songs <laughs> in my head. I can't hear in Mazatlan. No, in Mazatlan to me was a weird series of tones that, uh, you know, some of them sounded like a song, but then uh, others uh, were just crazy vocal experiments. That uh, I totally agree. I, I Even though I liked it, um, there's not much I remember about it. Maybe it's because it was kind of weird. <laughs> Maybe that, and also because it's uh, for an album it's that short, has long and it songs. Comes between, yeah, it has a very the short two song. big songs. That, yeah, uh, uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Is that in an album full of four and five minute, seven minute songs, being two minutes and forty five seconds maybe doesn't click in the memory as the other ones do, but still enjoyable. And then of course a song I have loved since I was a kid and never get tired of which is the title track which ends the album great way to end the album with with three kind of uh short songs and putting the hit singles on the end of the album i thought really smart put the long songs in the middle and then start with kind of short songs really smart i thought that blended incredibly well that's the one the, the one, one disagreement i have is i did the order of the songs uh, i thought starting off with the uh, those two first like I say, about the third song, that's where I kind of uh, tuned in more. Okay. So the first two didn't affect me as much. I, I, um, but I agree with the fact that um, starting with um, Heart. Heart. with short songs, oh yeah, yeah, going in the middle with longer songs, and then ending with with short songs, and I think ending. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I kind of like that. Format. Yeah, and then ending with the with the with the two big singles at the very end was something you first of all you don't do but it worked uh brilliantly i think on this album uh as far as uh yeah i i, I think it puts a bigger spot on the longer songs you don't notice them. You, you notice every song now because of the way they did that that kind of short long short and uh i think when people listen to this album they'll understand what we're talking about uh, but yeah, and a great song to end on. It makes you feel so good. I think that's a deliberate attempt <laughs> to make you feel so good at the end of this record that you say, I like it. Even yes. if you might not like it, you say, yeah, but that, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like a brainwashing, you know, when I, you have such a fun, uh, happy song that makes you feel good. And even if you might not have liked the album. Remember, so, yeah. Yeah. I always, you know, say if I, if I have a store and, uh, I'm hiring employees, uh, to do sales, uh, 
you want happy people because if you have miserable people there, people are going to remember that and not come back. But if you have happy people there, they may not remember, but they will remember. Uh, okay, that's a safe place to go shopping there, and uh, this you're remembering. Okay, I totally that's an agree. album that makes me feel good. I totally agree. <laughs> I, I think it was a deliberate attempt, but it was a smart deliberate attempt, and it was a subliminal, subliminal message at the end that. Even if you don't like this album, you're going to remember the last song and you maybe buy the next album because leave of that. Leave them feel good. Yeah. yeah leave them feeling and good. And it's a great song. Everybody gets a chance ever to sing on this song, which I think is great. Everybody takes a, a, a two-word verse or two-line verse in this song. Uh, some of them succeed really good. Some of them are not singers, but I just like that they did that. It I showed like that. harmony. I also like um, uh, when they're combining the vocals. Sometimes they do harmonic vocals. Sometimes they, uh, or a lot of times though, they do those unison vocals. And I got to thinking about it. And uh, boy, if, it, if you're going to sing some vocals, which would you rather do, the the Beach Boys vocals or the uh, the unison everybody yelling the same thing vocals? Mm -hmm. The unison everybody yelling the same thing vocals. They scream to me fun and drunkenness. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. No, they do. They and they scream more people. Yes. They scream like they're on a beach and it's all these yeah. people on the beach. Having fun. <laughs> uh, the, the really rehearsed ones, I think of uh, people in the studios with headphones on and getting the pitches just right and cutting off the notes at the right points. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. And this is a di that's the difference between this and the Beach Boys song uh, is that the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson were very meticulous and they were going more for beauty than yes. the ruckus part of it. But this... This is going for both a party good, type of good. Yes, both are going for a, a good feeling, but they're going for it in different ways. Yeah. And this succeeds in what they're trying to do, 100% yeah. what they're trying to do. And I love, I just have to point this out, I love how it changes the key. When it goes, why can't we be friends? And then it goes up, why can't we be friends? And I just think they could, like, well, like we were talking about weeks ago with Gordon Lightfoot, how you don't have to do shit. But when you're when you're a really good songwriter or musician, you do put things in that maybe you didn't have to do. Yeah, and they sound like simple things, but they really amplify the feeling of the song. You could easily just go, let's just make every, let's just end, yeah, let's just end on why can't we be friends and just fade it. No, why don't we? Why don't we? As it gets to the end, put it up a key. Put it up a key, and it tell you it changes dramatically for the good. Yeah. Not that it was bad before, but the change made you feel even better. Like it's this, the crescendo of the song. Brilliant. It may not be brilliant in like, oh, that's a brilliant idea, but it turned out to be a brilliant, you know what I mean? Like it's it's not technically brilliant, <laughs> but when you hear it, because if you just say put it up a key, it's not a brilliant idea, but it turns out in the, the apex of the song for history as pretty brilliant because it's like, wow. If they wouldn't have done that, who knows if I, I would still love this song, but would I love it? And I, even if they hadn't done that, you could have just started the fade out there. And uh, but the, the difference between oh, I love this song, and oh, this is one of my favorite songs ever, could be because of something as simple as that. Really, you know. And I like we have commented on this the last couple of shows, but the artistry sometimes in people to not just be satisfied with how the song is going, but just to change it up a little bit because let's see how it goes, you know? <laughs> and I love this album. Do you have any more to say about it that you wanted to say? Uh, I want to say I like this album. I thought there was um, some songs that didn't connect with me. Most of them did. Some of them were, were just downright great. 
but there were uh, a few that didn't. But having said that, they have to do what they do. It has to be like this. Uh, this is an experimental band, and they experiment with a whole bunch of different types of music. And you have to do songs that uh, may not connect with me to get the low riders and the why can't we be friends. And That's uh, what I came with, away with, especially, is I that this music has to be this way. Yes. And I don't know <laughs> if people understand what they're talking about until they hear it, because it, it is a strange concept. What do you mean it has to be like the way they did it? Well, when you listen to it, you completely understand is that they can't be boxed into just one thing. And yes. they have to express everything that they have going. And this is everything that they had going in their minds at the time. And they put it all into this record. And for some reason, that's what you come away with at the end, feeling it had to be like this. They had to express all their musical uh, ambitions on this. Yeah. Not on this one record, but in the band. The way uh, they write. The way they write yeah. at, for the first five years. And um, what's your uh, rating on this? Uh, I gave it a uh, four out of five because uh, I thought you would. I I couldn't go higher than that because there's a few songs that uh, there's one song particularly that, like I say, uh, I know Lotus one. Blossom. Uh, oh, you mentioned it. I, Damn uh, you! I wrote down beside it, Blech. <laughs> well, I, I liked it, people. He's he's you not wrong because that's I his opinion, like and an opinion is never wrong. But he's wrong. <laughs> In Mazatlan, uh, I don't know. I liked it, but it's not memorable. I liked don't know it, why. Yeah, it didn't stick with me all that uh, much. So four stars. I I love this album. I I just think as an album, it it it, it exemplifies what we mean by album art, the yeah. art of making an album yeah. which is gone and it will never be back and has been gone uh, since the CD or since the CD took over. Um, the art of the A and the B side and of making a 40 to 45 minute yep. record. This is what we talk about. This type of album, when we talk about the art of making an album. And I just thought that there was so much infectious energy and happiness and I don't want to say Brent's, but just terrific playing. Just, just the vibes were good. Oh God! They just don't make music like yeah, this. These they guys, just don't make music like this anymore. These guys throw off good vibes. They throw off good vibes. So fucking cool. That's what <laughs> I keep saying. It's just all I can say about this album. If somebody said what? to me, "What is why can't we be friends?" Like I would say, it's cool, man. Like really, like that's the word that I would use. It's kind of it's it, it's funky. It's rhythm and blues. But the best way to describe it, it's fucking cool. <laughs> why, why? Why does war make me feel good? <laughs> yes, exactly. I give it four and a half, and I tell you, it's so close to getting five. Uh, but four and a half is a really strong four and a half, close to a classic. And uh, I love. I liked it a little bit more than Rob because I like Lotus. Maybe that's the big. <laughs> I think yeah. that may be the one thing that we actually disagree on that changes four and a half to four. Uh, for you know, and either way, vice versa, is is Lotus Blossom. But we both feel the same about this record. Other than that, is the, our opinions about it are, are pretty much the same, really. Which is not new. If anybody goes, "Wow, really?" Because we agree on so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's 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 funny. It's not. I want to say this correctly, and it's something I touched upon on our last show. Is is that when we agree about something, we agree on four or five things. It's very easy to say, 
I liked it. Oh, I agree with you. I liked it too. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. That's our show. No, we made we made I think some good points about why we liked it, and then we agreed on it because there were things that we were going to each individually say anyways. So when we agree on something, which we do often, we make sure that we make points about why we like this album and then why we agree with the, what the other person said. It's not a, it's not a simple, uh, well, I like the guitar sound. I so, like the guitar sound too. So I like it. And I liked <laughs> it too. I give it four stars. And I'm not saying we're big shots. I'm just saying that I the am. whole reason for this show is to be ex- as specific as possible as to why we dislike it or not dislike it. And when I say we we agreed on this album, I'm not saying we could agree on an album. Uh, uh, we could say an album is four stars, but we could actually disagree about why, completely why it was four stars. But what I mean when I say agree is that we agree about the specifics of why we like this album. Because there are reasons why we could not like this album and still give it the same stars. Yeah, and there yeah. are the, the parts that the, both our ears are hearing and saying, geez, that's good. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. We point out the things that we like, and oh, that's why I liked it too, because of that one little thing, or I heard that thing, you know, in there. Um, I don't want to keep on blowing our trumpet about that, but I just want people to know that uh, this is not a simple uh, review show. This is as complex as we can try and get in to every album. No, a simple review show would be one listen. <laughs> one listen and I don't know. While I was playing my game, I didn't really get into it. Draw <laughs> <laughs> my attention. It's not that good. We take this stuff pretty damn seriously. <laughs> Sergeant um, Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's it. Rob gives it four. I give it four and a half. I think we both agree that this is an album that if you like funk yeah. or rhythm and blues or soul music you got to pick up you got to pick it up this is a really good one and i'll just say uh, uh you gave him uh told me you first heard of war i'll uh, tell him, uh, when i first heard of war uh just go on the internet uh, type in uh the muppets why can't we be friends was that the oh, was that the first time you heard war that's the first time i heard any war music. and then five six years later i heard the actual real song you never heard lyrics. uh uh, Cisco Kid from Up and Smoke in the '78. No, I heard Cisco Kid for the first time. Not Cis- yeah, no, no, sorry, Lowrider from from sorry, Lowrider. Mm. Lowrider is probably mid or mid '80s or early '80s when. Okay, uh, but before that, on the Muppet Show in the late '70s. Okay, so you heard War about the same time I did. It's just a different song in a different yeah. way. I heard Why I heard Lowrider, and you heard Why Can't We Be Friends? Yeah. <laughs> what two great songs to hear <laughs> as your first and I didn't Warriors. know that was War until years later. So. Yeah, that's cool. And of course, another cool song that War plays on, which I always love, but it's not really their song, but they put their stamp on it. Is of course. Eric Burden and Wars uh, Spill the Wine, Spill which is a wine, great yeah, yeah. and also an ultra cool song. <laughs> you know, the Cisco Kid, uh, that's <clears throat> one that I heard about 10 years ago. I was doing some work for my brother uh, out in Saskatchewan. It came on the radio. It's one of those ones that I had to stop and listen to and find out who it was. Yeah. It is an attractive <laughs> song on first listen, isn't it? It, it, it? Very few songs make me do that. I can go weeks uh, listening to the radio you know, and stuff I, comes on. I think it has a lot to do with the loudest. They, they, what I mean by the vocals, they're loud. Yeah. And I think you hear that on Why they're Can't We Be Friends? And you hear that. Almost and when just It just came to me, actually, mm. when you mentioned, like, oh, I was really drawn to that right away. And then I was thinking of the Cisco kid, and I was thinking, you know, they put their vocals really up high. And I think 
band should and artists should do yeah. that because uh, what I, I remember from Cisco Kid is them just almost like a Chicano gang going, "Hey, Cisco Kid was <laughs> a friend of mine," and it's same thing with like Low Rider. Even though it's in the low vocals, it's very high. So you go, you can't leave that song without going, "Oh, Low Rider," <laughs> because it's very high. As is, "Why Can't We Be Friends?" Even the wobbly vocals sometimes by each band member in the verses are catchy because they're high. They're high. They're mixed high. Yeah, like and I they, love that. They mix them high. They turn them up. But also they, they, they sing really out front like... Uh, Soul was a good example of really singing the song out front and just giving 100%. Yeah, I always view the vocals as being... You write the song around the vocal. Well, I do anyway, but... But you don't hear too many songs... In the old days or now, where they put the vocals so high. And I don't mean like, oh, no. that hurts. I mean high that it's like, that's great. And they're trying to blend them in with the uh, the instruments. Yes. Put them on the same level. And, uh, yes. Put them on the same level of the instruments. Maybe a lesson we should all learn. Because it works for war really good. And bands that usually say, oh, bury the vocals and make them try and listen. I think war is... is uh, uh, what's the word um a rebuttal to that kind of argument saying you know what maybe having it high as, as much as the instruments is, is a good thing in, in a certain way not only am i going to shout the words the whole band's going to exactly. shout the words but they're going for a different feel too they're going yep. a lot of songs are going for a good time feel or a good feeling inside and uh maybe that contributes to that too so they don't do too many songs that are like i'm feeling really low man <laughs> 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 I just want to say one more thing. You can really, and I don't want to knock the Ohio players, I don't, but you can really hear the difference in both recording and I think I think in talent between War and the Ohio players. And I don't like to compare bands, but what a difference to me. Actually, I thought the Ohio players would be a lot like this Why Can't We Be Friends album. That's why I was so disappointed. I expected that level of greatness from the Ohio players, and I personally didn't get it. I got more than I expected from from, from, this from album. War. Yeah. Not that I wasn't, because I've always loved War. It's just that I thought they'd have a great album, but I didn't think I'd be giving it four and a half stars. So that's, wow. The Ohio, the Ohio players, I just, I, I love the musicianship and the, the choice of notes they were picking. And the, I wish I would have heard them. In, I said, I would just wish I would have heard them in a much livelier, better mix and a better room. That's all yeah, I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's all for today's show. Oh, and better lyrics. I love, I, I know, I know yes. I'm supposed to end, yeah. but I have to say this now that, now that we brought it up. A big difference. Uh, Ohio players just talking about sex and how sexy girls are compared to War talking about a whole bunch of things on their album makes, to me personally, a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the songs are about stuff that you relate to as opposed to just about stuff that you are listening to and thinking, yeah, these guys are just trying to get laid. <laughs> they're not only just trying to get laid, but they're also just trying to fill the songs. The music is more important to them. And, yes, with, and yeah. with War... Everything is important. Everything, the whole yeah. projection of the song. Yeah. I really, I'm glad I cut that in because I would have been mad if I didn't. Because that was one of the things I thought about was talk about how how relatable the lyrics are because they they vary on this album. And I almost forgot. Yeah, it's a drag driving home. And damn it, I forgot. I, 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 I think I was going to say it. It's past. It's That's done why now. Our shows Never are again. Long. 
That's why our shows are long, because we make sure we say everything we want to and not, <laughs> not have that feeling when we're driving home. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can live with too long. <laughs> yes, exactly, which is what today's show is again. That is all for today's show. Now, next week, we have the final part of our look at funky bands in the 1970s with a band that is funky. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, it's a funky band. we got a funky band, so there you go. It's about funky bands, and we have a funky Wouldn't band. Wouldn't it be great if we did a funky band theme, and one of the bands wasn't funky? They weren't funky at all. Not funky. It's like when we did the uh, show with... Uh, with bands that I thought had horns in it and oh, yeah. it didn't and it turned out I had to even change the theme in the middle of it <laughs> damn those bands were fooling me <laughs> they were supposed to have horns in here where'd they go um, uh, remember uh, if you do feel you are getting too funky then get the funk out of you anyway anyhow get that damn funk out of you keep a bucket nearby <laughs> <laughs> a bucket for the funk a funk bucket you know what remember that kids for this next coming week a funk bucket <laughs> so till next week everybody uh, take care and stay funky I knew that's what you'd say. <laughs> <laughs>